0: Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletic's Penn State podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, and we have a little bit different kind of show this week here on Dear Old State. Uh, I'm flying solo temporarily. We're going to bring you my interview on the Andy Staple Show with uh, my colleague, Andy Staples, National College Football Writer for The Athletic. This week at The Athletic, I did an article for kind of a package that the whole Athletic is running, looking at dominant teams across every sport. Uh, my article looked at the 25 most dominant teams of the past 50 years in college football, which took a long time to figure out. I will be, admit I have a, a extremely detailed Excel spreadsheet that gave me a headache for a couple weeks, but it was a really, really fun project to work on. Uh, I recommend, please, subscribe to The Athletic if you do not, and uh, going to the Athletic College Football page and reading the list of the 25 most dominant teams. I spoke with Andy Staples about a lot of the teams on the list, including the choice for number one. So we'll get to that in a moment. But since this is our Penn State podcast, we should at least cover the Penn State teams that were in the mix and the one team that made it. Uh, The criteria I laid out, if you listen to the interview with Andy, I'll uh, repeat them a little bit here. But So I started out with a list of... Like 200 teams that was hard to narrow down had to figure out ways to cut it down. And I ended up evaluating 79 teams that were either a national champion in the last 50 years, which Penn State has had two of those in 82 and 86. Uh, What were if they were an undefeated team that did not win the national championship but finished in the top five, which was 1994 Penn State and also 1973 Penn State. And then I also included any teams that finished number two and lost to number one uh, by one score. No Penn State teams meet that criteria. So I had 79 teams considered. Four of them were Penn State. And one of them made the list, and that was 1994. And despite the fact that they did not actually win the national championship, I think anybody who listens to this podcast probably agrees that they should have. Uh, I included 94 Penn State and not Nebraska who actually won the title. But I think in all fairness, it should have been a split titles type of situation, just like 91 with Miami and Washington, just like 97 with Nebraska and Michigan. You look at what Penn State did in 1994, 47.8 points per game, 7.6 yards per play. Both of those ranked first in the country, 165.5 pass efficiency first in the country, 6.1 yards per carry second in the country. And then the defense gave up uh, 21 points per game, which ranked 30th. And if you look at the numbers, I put it in my article, 1994 Penn State was very comparable in terms of its profile, its offensive output, its you know good but not spectacular defense, very similar to 2019 LSU, who I had number four on my list. The biggest difference is just the quality of opponents, which wasn't necessarily 1994 Penn State's fault. They didn't get to play in a Big Ten championship game. They didn't get to play in a playoff game. They were forced to play Oregon in a bowl game instead of meeting Nebraska. So they didn't really have the opportunities to bolster their resume. Uh, And even Nebraska's best win was against Colorado, who uh, beat Michigan on a Hail Mary. If that Hail Mary doesn't happen, the reputations of those two teams switches a little bit. So, Despite the lack of a top 10 win, though, Penn State beat teams that finished number 11, number 12, number 13, number 14. Three of those wins were by double digits, including the famous 63-14 win against Ohio State, which was actually my first game at Beaver Stadium. So there is a little of a personal nostalgia for this team as well, but I think if you look at all the numbers... The 94 Nittany Lions absolutely belonged on this list. You know, they were held back a little bit by having to come back from three touchdowns down against Illinois. You know, they were certainly held back in the polls by the garbage time points Indiana scored to make that game a little bit closer than expected. But overall, when you look at, you know, four out of 12 wins were against teams that finished ranked, three of which were by double digits. And the scoring output and the yards per play output and the talent that Penn State had that year with. Kerry Collins won the Maxwell award, won the Davy O'Brien award. You know, Carter, number one pick Heisman runner up. Bobby Ingram won the Blitnikoff. Kyle Brady, top 10 pick at tight end. Uh, Marco Rivera and Jeff Harding's on the offensive line, longtime NFL starters and pro bowlers. You know, even Brian Milne and John Whitman at fullback, both drafted in the first four rounds. It's kind of staggering the talent that Penn State had on the offensive line or on the offense in 1994. And, While LSU had the benefit of those, you know, the stronger schedule and had the more impressive resume, which is why I have them much higher on the list, you know, what Penn State did was put up those numbers that in a different era where they basically played with two two wide receivers max every game. You know, Bobby Ingram and Freddie Scott were the only wide receivers to catch passes pretty much all year. Uh, And Penn State was lining up under center. They weren't running RPOs. It was just kind of a... Bare bones offense in some respects that just out out talented and outperformed everybody. So, 1994 Penn State is my choice for Penn State's most dominant team of the last 50 years. I think most would agree with that, and they're certainly one of my choices for one of the 25 most dominant teams in college football in the past 50 years. Uh, the quick explanations for why the other Penn State teams did not make it. 82 would have a case, however, I ruled out then. After I narrowed down my initial list of candidates, I ruled out anybody who lost by double digits and or lost to a team that finished unranked. And that's the big blemish for 1982 Penn State, which was a great team, the first national champion to actually pass for more yards than they ran for. But they have that big blemish where they lost 42-21 to at Alabama, which ended up was number four at the time, but actually uh, finished unranked that season at eight and four. And then 1986, undefeated Penn State team, did not really stack up well in the metrics that I looked at. You know, it's a great team that deserved the national championship, but among the 79 teams I looked at, they were 73rd in scoring uh, 64th in point margin, 67th in yards per play, uh, 60th in percentage of games they won by multiple scores. Great team, deserving champion, but they're kind of in that category of 2002 Ohio State, 97 Michigan, where... Defense first. Offense was a little ugly at times and uh, won some close games, so really good team, but doesn't quite meet the criteria to be one of the 25 most dominant teams of the last 50 years. And the other one I mentioned is 73 Penn State, undefeated but no respect. Uh, Nittany Lions that year finished fifth in the AP poll in a year in which a whole bunch of teams finished undefeated. Notre Dame beat Alabama for the national championship in the Sugar Bowl. And in some of the metrics, 73 with Penn State's only Heisman winner, John Capaletti, fared pretty well. You know, they scored 37 points per game, beat teams by an average of 26.4 points per game. Offense was really good. uh, Just don't quite stack up in terms of quality wins, things like that. Schedule wasn't that great, which is what held them back in that discussion in the polls back in 73. So those are the teams that were considered, but I think – Despite its lack of national championship, which it at least should have shared, 94 Penn State was the most dominant Penn State team of the past 50 years, one of the most dominant ever. And, uh, again, this list goes back to 1970, so that means the undefeated Nittany Lions squads of 68 and 69 both were not considered for this list because they're just outside the last 50 years. So... Without further ado, I spent a lot more time going through the list, talking about number one, talking about who else was in the mix with my colleague Andy Staples on the Andy Staples Show. So thanks for listening. Here is that interview in full.
1: Matt Brown from The Athletic has ranked the 25 most dominant college football programs of the past 50 years. And this is one of those things where no one's ever going to agree on this, although I think everyone should agree on number one. We'll see if we'll see if that has, has held true, but Matt, why do you do this to yourself? You always have these rankings where you're ranking teams across eras and people are just going to get mad at you.
0: Yeah. I don't know why I keep coming back to it, but I don't know. I find it fun. It's college football. Like what else are we doing? I mean, I mean, the athletic is like doing this across a bunch of different sports, but I somewhat happily volunteer. Cause I like digging into research and things like that. And I feel like people have generally been nicer than usual about this one, so maybe I did it right. I don't know. People disagree, but like a lot of people seem to have get what I was trying to do at least, which which is nice. Well, you
1: your criteria were were excellent. I thought the way you set this up was really interesting because so they're they're all national champions. So there's 59 teams, which you know you had split national titles in some years. You also had all the AP top five teams that finished with perfect records but did not win a national title. And then you had AP number two teams that lost only to the final number one team by one score or less. And so that's a pretty good group. I mean, that 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 covers just about everybody. And then you also evaluated wins against teams ranked in the final AP poll. And I'm glad you did it this way, not when they played, but where they finished in the AP poll, the opponents. Uh Average point differential, yards per play, yards per play allowed, yards per play differential, uh, percentage of games won by two-plus possessions, talent level, which would be All-Americans, top 100 draft picks, future pro bowlers. So you you had a lot of nice objective criteria. And I think what, what hamstrings a lot of these lists, Matt, is it's just – I think it's this. I think it's this. But you had some very, very good criteria here to back up what you did.
0: Yeah, I started with – I mean, like – the the criteria you listed there, I ended up with 79 teams, which I made sure to emphasize. I don't think those are the 79 best teams of the last 50 years. I thought it was, I need to get this list down to a manageable number of teams that might have a shot or at least deserve to have their argument heard for being in that 25. So I started with a list of in Excel of like 200 teams. I don't even remember what I did initially to get that. And I'm like, okay, this needs to get more manageable. So I wanted to to get it down to a more reasonable number of teams that at least deserve to have their case heard. And then I had, I mean, I spent like two weeks just working on this spreadsheet with all kinds of different numbers and all different kinds of ways to compare and rank them with each other. There ended up being like 10 categories where I ranked all of these 79 teams against each other. So I could get a good sense of, okay, this team might've gone undefeated, but they don't really stack up well in any category they're out or these teams are obviously in. And then there was obviously a bunch of, uh, bunch of wiggle room when you get from like you know number 12 through number 40 Uh, and I think it's important to state that the margin between some of these teams is really really close and sometimes even if it sounds like this isn't the way it should be sometimes even like a missed two-point conversion kept the team out because they didn't win the national championship because of it
1: well and so we'll start with number one because this is one I I, there's going to be some argument over this but my guess is anybody who was alive and watching college football during this season is not going to have another choice the, the, I think you're going to get people who say 2001 Miami should be number one but most people who are paying attention to college football in 1995 will agree with you on 1995 Nebraska because this team just kicked the living crap out of every team it played and it played a bunch of really good teams the closest game it played was 14 points that was Washington State Washington State had like an 87-yard touchdown run right off the bat. But everybody forgets that game was 28-7 going into the fourth quarter, Nebraska winning. So it's just they destroyed everybody. And then you get to the national title game against Florida. And so I, I'm a senior in high school when this game's going on. Uh, I was at working at Champ Sports in the Seminole Town Center Mall. And I was thinking, okay, this is good. So the mall closes at 9.00. I'll be able to get home and watch most of the game. Now, at this point, I have not decided where I want to go to college. I am certainly not a Florida fan, even though that's where I ended up going. Uh, But so I was thinking, all right, let's be cool if Nebraska could beat these Gators because all these Gator fans I live around here in Orlando are, are really obnoxious and I don't want to deal with them. I figured I'd get to watch a competitive game by the time I got home. By the time my shift was over, the game was over.
0: That sounds about right.
1: <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was over. They, they just Florida goes down the field, and Chris Doran catches four passes at the, the, in the on the first drive, and they they kick a field goal because they couldn't punch it in. And you're like, okay, they're gonna be they're gonna be fine. And then Nebraska just overwhelms them.
0: I mean, here's the thing about that game too. It's like Florida, if it wasn't for this game, we're talking about them in this same discussion. They they yes. were twelve zero they beat every team by double digits which is that's gets you on this list like doing that <laughs> and they played some really good they teams they beat number they... the final number 3 Tennessee they beat 62 to 37 which is you know almost identical or not quite identical but sounds similar to what ended up happening in the national championship game and they beat uh, Florida State who ended up finishing number 4 they beat them by 11 so undefeated beat number 3 and 4 basically blew out everybody that's all time dominance. And then Nebraska comes out and beats them 62 to 34. So 38 point margin of victory. Not only that, they beat them 629 to 269 in total yards. Well, and it just was never close. Never close. There, there was never a
1: chance that Florida could win that game. And that's what, that's what made that 95 Nebraska team. There was never a game where an opponent had a chance to win the game, not a single one. And, I don't know that we can say that for any other team on this list. I mean, 2001 Miami had a close call yeah. against Boston College. Now, I didn't I don't think I realized how good 01 Miami's schedule was.
0: It's a little bit better than you think. Like it's not they didn't play like, you know, 1971 Nebraska who I have uh, third on this list beat number 2, number 3, and number 4 in the final poll. 2001 Miami didn't do that, but six of the teams they played out of 12 ended up finishing in the top 25. So they beat a bunch of like good solid teams. Uh, You know, I think people, you know, their schedule gets knocked too, because obviously it seems that Nebraska didn't really deserve to be in the BCS title game, but you know, I don't know. I don't think it matters who they played. They were going to destroy anybody. They played in the championship game.
1: I was covering Tennessee that season for the Chattanooga times free press and and Tennessee beat Florida. Remember that the the Florida game against Tennessee was moved to December because it was the week of September 11th. So September 11th is the Tuesday, and then the game was scheduled to be that Saturday. They ended up moving it to the week that was originally going to be the SEC championship game. And Tennessee beat Florida. That was Steve Spurrier's best Florida team, the 2001 team. That team might have had a chance against Miami. The Tennessee team that beat Florida – would have probably had a better chance against Miami because it had an unbelievable defensive line. Albert Hainsworth and John Henderson with the defensive tackles. But I still don't think they would have been able to win that game. Tennessee ends up losing to LSU in the SEC championship game. That knocks them from the Rose Bowl down to the Citrus Bowl. And I think that Tennessee team would have given Miami the best game, but I'm still not sure it would have been competitive in the third quarter.
0: I mean, here's the thing about Miami. Like we think about them immediately as, okay, this is like the most talented team we've ever seen. And I, I, you know, I tallied up draft picks. I tallied up pro bowlers. It wasn't what I judged this on necessarily, because that doesn't mean that the team was, Dominant at the college level, uh, you know, our colleague Bruce Feldman wrote but about you,
1: you had, you had future first rounders who couldn't get on yes. the field in this game.
0: You now Bruce Feldman wrote about 1979 USC, which tied a mediocre Stanford team, but was absolutely loaded with NFL talent it was one of the most talented teams ever. And they were a really good team, but they, they kind of choked and, and didn't win the national title. 2001 Miami did not choke. And this is a team that had 13 future pro bowlers on its roster. The next most wow. uh, pro bowlers for a national champion in the last 50 years was 1978 USC, which had eight. So five fewer. Only one other national champion had more than five. Miami had 13. I mean, they had Clinton Portis, Willis McGahey, and Frank Gore in the backfield alone. You know, Brian McKinney was an That's offensive tackle obscene. finisher in the top 10 of the it's Heisman. Ken Dorsey absolutely was a two time top five he- Heisman finisher. They had 10 first rounders on defense. Like, it's just it's absurd. And you know, all those categories you listed off that I kind of considered here, um, all the categories where I ranked these 79 teams against each other, 2001 Miami was the only team that finished in the top 25 of all of those categories. You know, there were six yeah. differential 11th and yards per play differential. They were, again, I don't think their schedule was the best, but they were actually number one in terms of percentage of games that were wins against teams that finished ranked 50% of their games were wins against ranked teams. Um, you know, ten of their twelve or two score wins. That a couple of close calls, but overall, and the national championship game, you know, the final score was not really indicative of what actually happened. It was 37-14. It was forty-four it to was nothing over. at halftime. Like,
1: yeah, I was to say it was over in the first quarter. So, yeah, that that one's. I mean, my So, to, one Miami's number two. You've got seventy-one Nebraska, which we, I wasn't born yet when this game was played, but I've I've watched the whole game. On YouTube, uh, the original game of the century, Nebraska Oklahoma in 1971, was incredible, and Nebraska ends up winning that game 35-31. It was number one versus number two, and I just think you know this is one of those teams that today we would look at it you know, and say, "Wow, you know these these guys were amazing." But I wonder, you know, with those uh, that offense. Could you could you transplant that team today today and win? Because like I think 95 Nebraska running the offense they were running would still destroy people today.
0: I'm not so sure about 71, but they had some, you know, an amazing option offense. Johnny Rogers, you know, was one of the most electric playmakers college football's ever had. And really, though, it was their their defense. And among all these teams I considered, Nebraska had the uh lowest average yards per play allowed among all of these teams that year um, they average gave up 3.17 yards per play which is slightly lower than 2011 Alabama well obviously it's well, a different that's, time, what, that's what makes but, the
1: but that's what makes that game of the century yes. so interesting is Oklahoma which is also running the wishbone or which is running the wishbone yes. at the time so you got two very ground-based offenses but they were both explosive against one another in that game. Yeah. That's what made it so cool. 71
0: Oklahoma set the record that still stands for rushing yards per game. 472 rushing yards per game, averaging <laughs> 6.8 per carry. Unbelievable. And so these teams were both so dominant that the only one loss non-champion that I included on this list was 1971 Oklahoma because they blew everybody out and they lost to an all-time great Nebraska team by four points.
1: But before we get to... Another LSU team, the the most recent LSU team, which is very high on this list and and deservedly. So let me ask you about that, because you mentioned a one-loss team that didn't win a championship. 2011 LSU. Back then, we looked at that as maybe the best resume that had ever been put together going into a title game. And You think about it, they beat the Pac-10 champ in Oregon. They beat the Big East champ in West Virginia. They beat the eventual national champ on the road, in Alabama. So why did they not make this? What, what was hamstringing them? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say last miles offense, but
0: well, I'm going to say yeah. the initial criteria, uh, they were ended up finishing number two and lost a game by double digits. And I think there's, an. No, legit- they, they lost nine to six. They lost twenty-one to nothing.
1: Oh no, no, you're lost ten to nothing. You're or twenty to nothing. You're right. So I didn't think. I about think that. they have a legitimate. nine to gripe six because yeah. this
0: was a great team. Like if I was ranking the best teams of the last fifty years, and I had a top fifty, 2011 LSU's in there. They were a great team. They beat the national champion. They just you know fell flat on their face in the national championship game, but obviously they were an all-time great team. But just to the criteria I laid out to narrow it down to these twenty-five most dominant. Can we include a team that lost 21 to nothing in the national championship game, didn't cross midfield until the fourth quarter, and had 92 right. total yards? So, that,
1: and, and you're right. And, and so that's John Hayes, our producer, and I were talking before this. No Ohio State teams on this list either. And I was yeah. thinking, you know, 2014 Ohio State is an absurdly talented yeah. group that was dominant down the stretch. And I'm like, wait a second. They lost to a team that finished six
0: and six. They lost at home. At home, to a team that finished digits. six and six. That was too wow. disqualifying. So when I had this list of seventy nine, I had to like find other ways to just kind of narrow it down, like beyond just looking at the numbers. And some things like I'm like, okay, twenty five is a pretty exclusive list. That's literally at most less, I mean, well less than half the national champions in the last fifty years because there's been fifty nine national champions. So it's an exclusive club. Uh, so I'm like, all right, if a team lost to a an opponent that finished unranked, they're out you know we're talking about whole season dominance if they lost by double digits they're out 2014 Ohio State was by the end of the year no question one of the 25 most clearly
1: teams. the best team in the country yeah
0: but they lost by double digits at home to a team that finished unranked that's two disqualifying factors in one i mean even in october they i was at the game where they needed double overtime to beat a really mediocre penn state team on the road so they weren't they i mean they weren't even in the top 5 until December. Uh, so great, great, great team at the end of the year, but we're taking into account the whole season. So yeah, Ohio state's definitely interesting for this because you look at it. They're one of the five most dominant programs of the last 50 years. So consistently good. They hardly have ever had a bad team, but 2014, they lost that, you know, an early game to a mediocre team, 2002. They won the national championship, great team, deserve the national championship, but that team had a knack for winning close games. And if you look at all the categories I, I kind of tallied up here, they really didn't stack up favorably. Great team, but didn't deserve it. So it's, I think this past year, if the 20, like our, one of our Ohio state writers, Bill Endis emailed me, uh, not taking issue with it, but just wondering where 2019 Ohio state would have fit in. And if you don't look at where they finished, which was number three after losing a semifinal, they absolutely would belong based on what they did in the regular season. Like their numbers stack oh, yeah. really, 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 really well. It's just, it's hard to include a team that ended up finishing number three in a list of the most dominant teams.
1: Well, let's talk about the team that finished number one last season because LSU, I, I have a feeling cause you know, this one of those where we're talking about it now and you think, okay, is this recency bias? Are we, or are we yeah. just saying the one we just saw is a, I actually think we're going to look at them as better as the years go on as we see how many great nfl players come off That's this team true. as we see how many great nfl players come off the teams that they throttled like that georgia defense that they played in the sec championship game was awesome they beat them 37 to 10 it was never close you know the the clemson team they played was loaded they beat them 42 to 25 uh, auburn had the great defensive line Alabama had all those great receivers, had Tua. I really think we're gonna look at that team the way we look at 01 Miami and 95 Nebraska before all is said and done.
0: Based on their draft output that we saw in April, I mean you you very well might be right. And you look at you know what knocks them is their defense. Their defense for all of these teams was mediocre, but it didn't matter. I mean uh they also play in a different era. Yes. And so And it can be hard to compare to resumes like we're looking at 95 Nebraska. They didn't get to play in a big 12 title game. They didn't get to play in a playoff semifinal. They probably would have blown those teams out by double digits too and had even more quality wins. Unless you played three more games, but but it's – that's the schedule. But
1: their defense has it easier when they're playing as teams that huddle and that that don't play out of the shotgun. I mean, Florida didn't – and we'll get to this when we get to 96 Florida, but Steve Spurrier didn't even want to get in the shotgun in 1995. (laughs) So – if you watch that national championship game again with Nebraska and Florida, Nebraska is teeing off on Danny Warfel. So that's the thing. LSU is dealing with very yes. sophisticated offenses that are designed to score a ton of points and designed to gain a bunch of yards and uh, do it quickly. So I, I don't knock them as much for their defense. And remember, once Grant Delpit got healthy, yeah, their defense was pretty darn good, too.
0: So, I mean, look, the 15 games, they they benefit from this era where they can play that many games and rack up a better resume. But the fact is they took advantage. <laughs> they beat five teams that finished in the top 10, uh, four of which were blowouts. The other game was against Alabama, so who cares? They beat Alabama 46-41. Impressive. And so it's, you know, they beat number two, Clemson, blowout. Number four, Georgia, blowout. Number six, Florida, ended up being by 14, close game, but still beat them by double digits. You know, ran Oklahoma off the field and then beat Alabama, and Joe Burrow's numbers: seven games that finished against seven teams that finished ranked. Joe Burrow completed seventy-five percent of his passes for two thousand seven hundred eighty-three yards, twenty-seven touchdowns, and two interceptions. It's just—it's the best passing season we've ever seen. So, yeah. you know, I, I think four is a good spot, but I think you're right that it, it's hard. It's always hard to play as a team where we, that we just saw them play sometimes you put them too high sometimes too low it's tough so I am curious to see how how they are viewed 10 20 years down the road
1: let's talk about the team I know best on this list because I was actually surprised at where it finished and probably not in the the way you think so I was a freshman walk-on offensive lineman on the 96 Florida team it finished 12th yep I thought it would be lower I I didn't think it would be this high why is that and it I think part of it was, again, I remember I said I wasn't a Florida fan before I decided to go there. And I don't think I quite understood the history or how good the opponents were that year. So I, I was talking to John Hayes, our producer, before the show, and we were talking about the LSU game that year. So that LSU team finished number 12, was outstanding, had Alan Fanica, had Kevin Falk, just absolutely loaded roster. That game was 56 to 13. So, my opinion of that LSU team right. was not particularly high. That's like, interesting. I had seen them on film before the weekend. So, I actually had to study their offensive line because I was on the scout team. So, I was Fanica that week. <laughs> and that's the dumbest personnel decision the GA in charge of the offense, you know, the, the scout team offense ever could have made because you should have put a better athlete in there as Alan Fanica. It was just that I had been the right guard for the last couple of weeks. And they're like, yeah, you just stay at right guard and I'm looking at the stuff that they have him doing, and he's, you could, like, I knew Alan Fanica was going to be a Hall of Famer from the moment I watched him on tape at LSU, because you don't do some of the things that he would do, where you're pulling out in front of, like, say, Kevin Falk, who's super fast, and not only are you going to hit a linebacker, like, normally you'd hit the Mike linebacker in that situation no no he's hitting the play side linebacker who's already got a head start on on Kevin Falk so he's outrunning Kevin Falk and outrunning this linebacker to get to him so I mean stuff like that but the thing was that game was won with so much ease it was like oh okay and then Auburn came in later and they were really good he scores 51 10 so it was just it, I think part of it was my head spinning so much. I wasn't watching a ton of other college football because I was just trying to deal with all the being a freshman in college, being on this football team, all this stuff. And it did not occur to me that, wow, this is really amazing what's going on here.
0: I mean, so the two one lost national champions that I kind of give gave kind of bonus points and put above the rest were 96 Florida and 2011 Alabama. And mm-hmm the circumstance allowed allowed for the those, revenge they factor got in the same building. It's not only revenge, they you know obliterated the opponent they lost to in the national championship. Yeah. And well I,
1: I can tell you right now, so the, the loss for 96 Florida was a 24 21 loss yep. at Florida State. You know, that was a game where Zach Pillar, the starting left tackle, was hoping he could go. He tries to to move around on the field before the game and it becomes clear that he's not ready. Cooper Carlisle, who would go on to become a really good Offensive lineman in college and in the NFL, he comes in as a as a redshirt freshman trying to deal with these monsters from Florida State. Because Florida State had had Andre Wadsworth, Renard Wilson. I mean, they, they were incredible on the defensive line, and so they're just teeing off on Werfel, and Spurrier finally goes to the shotgun at the end of the game, which actually gave Florida a chance. Like people forget, it's weird having been through that game on the sideline. Like. It felt like a total ass kicking. But the game was in reach in the fourth quarter. Right. It was a 24-21 game. And so I remember going to practice the next Monday and Wiley Rich, who was the the starting center that year because Jeff Mitchell had gone down in the Georgia game. Wiley, you know, is asked to spend extra time working on shotgun snaps with with the quarterbacks, and you realize, oh, they're going to to really run out of the shotgun now. And they did it against Alabama in the SEC championship game and Alabama can do anything and then did it against Florida State. And it was a total ass kicking. And that's what it was, it was weird because in the practices before that, that Sugar Bowl, we were giving the Florida defense, the starting Florida defense, a lot more trouble than Florida State wound up, wound up giving them. I don't know what it was. It, it, there were some really good players, not me, but there were some very good players on that Florida Scout team who would wind up becoming, you know, good starters down the road. But I just think it was a case where we knew we were better than them. We knew we were a lot better than them and weren't gonna let it happen again.
0: So I, you know, so here's some numbers to to back up my point that you guys you guys deserve to be here. Seventh in, among these seventy-nine teams, Florida was seventh in scoring, fourteenth uh, in point differential, fifth in yards per play margin, eleventh uh, in—or wait, sorry, yeah, eleventh in percent of games that were wins against ranked opponents. Eighth in top one hundred draft picks over the following three years. Pretty much everything but scoring defense. Ninety-six Florida stacks up like among the top twenty-five, top thirty. So among these teams. So, all in all, I think somebody raised the point. Uh, Florida fan said, I think 2008 Florida was more dominant. And I think that point can certainly be made. But ultimately, f- among the teams that made the list, 2008 Florida is uh, toward the bottom of the top 25. Well, and the, they lost losing to Ole Miss, to Ole Miss at they home had the worst versus. Lo- yeah. So,
1: yeah. 96 Florida has a loss to number two on the road.
0: And then they beat them by 32.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Ole Miss was good that year. They were Does, good. Ole Miss yeah. wins, wins the Cotton Bowl that year. but But it was not a case of. You know, it wasn't the number two team in the country. So the the highest ranked Nick Saban Alabama team on this list, which I, I thought was, was was interesting, is at number 13, 2011. And this is this is clearly their best defense of the Saban era. I don't know if it's the best offense. I mean, the offenses got better after he changed philosophies. But this team was you could not score on them.
0: So if you look at, you know, it's not only like, I mean, the game has changed even since 2011, obviously significantly, but if you look at all of the defenses of the entire decade, the 2010s 2011, Alabama gave up 3.32 yards per play. That is half a yard better than any other defense in the entire decade. They gave up 8.2 points per game. That's I think it's like, it's they're the only team that gave up single digits in the 2010s. So, you know, Giving up single digits well, and, 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 in the 70s wasn't that uncommon for great teams. In the 2010, team, team it's ridiculous. That,
1: yeah, and, and it's funny because we look at how dominant Saban has been at Alabama and you think, okay, why aren't any of these teams in the top 10? The The team that would have gotten in the top 10, except it got destroyed in the national title game and and therefore doesn't meet your criteria, would have been the
0: 2018 team. And that puts Clemson pretty high. I have Clemson number six on this list. And that was a team that had a couple close calls in the regular season, but I did kind of give bonus points so to speak for you know really dominant championship performances, but which I think if you're undefeated, that makes sense. And that twenty eighteen Clemson team beat Notre Dame by twenty seven in the semifinals and then beat Alabama forty four to sixteen, which is twice as bad as any other Nick Saban loss at Alabama. Uh, which I think certainly makes it deserving. So Alabama, I mean, has a number of teams on this list. You know, 2017 was was really, really good until, you know, except for that Auburn game. You know, 20, 2016, our colleague Aaron Suttles, who covers Alabama for the Athletic, uh, thinks 2016 should have been the best Alabama team, but they ended up losing the national title game close. They would have easily been on this list, but they lost close to a Clemson team that didn't make this list either because it, won like half of its games by single digits and lost to yeah, too,
1: too many close calls. That was when I remember Dabo the, the called him braided rope. And you're like, okay, when's that, when's that rope going to stand? And it did against Pittsburgh. They ended up losing yeah. to, to Nathan Peterman in Pittsburgh, but you're right. Uh, Matt, which of these teams were you surprised was on the list? Like did, that you thought was not as strong of a national championship, not uh, championship team but wound up being one of the best 25.
0: Um, I don't want to say I'm surprised they're included. I do want to shout out 91 Washington. I knew that I, I knew they oh, were yeah, way up. There. I don't think people realize how great that team was. Like they were never number one in the AP poll. They shared the title with Miami and you know, they both deserve the national title. I'm glad it was a split. That team was really, really, really dominant with one of the best defenses. They're one of only, uh, Three national champions, of, yeah, only or one of four national champions in the past 50 years that scored more than 40 per game, gave up fewer than 10 per game, joining wow. 74 Oklahoma, 93 Florida State, and 2001 Miami. So I, I think I mean, people might be surprised that they're in the top 10, but I think they deserve it. And, you know, one of the other ones I was, I think was tricky. Was I just mentioned them? Ninety-three Florida State, who I ended up including at number eighteen, lost to Notre Dame. Lost to Notre Dame, so it's a controversial championship because they lost to the team that ended up finishing number two. And it's so it's a Notre Dame didn't win the championship because they lost to Boston College. Uh, Notre Dame or Florida State ended up beating Nebraska in the bowl game, so they were a tricky case. But if you look at like all of their numbers, that was a dominant team outside of the Notre Dame game and with right. And they, they played a
1: really tough, they are schedule. the only
0: national champion in the last 50 years to finish number one in scoring offense, number one in scoring defense. And they did that with a loss. They did it with a tough schedule. Um, you know, they beat number five, Florida they beat number three in Nebraska, 15, Miami, 19, North Carolina, 23 Clemson at the Heisman or Charlie Ward, great defense led by Derek Brooks. So they're one of those tricky ones. Cause if, I think just one of the things they're known for is kind of a controversial national championship, but they were a really dominant team otherwise. So it was hard to leave them off just based on all the numbers that, that kind of backed up their case.
1: Well, and, and interestingly enough, 99 Florida state, the, the school's second national title, only wire to wire. Number one team ever. First one. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. So, but th- this was the
0: first wire to wire. Number 99 one. Florida State. Like I expected them to be higher. And it's like I couldn't leave them off. Undefeated. It's the competition. It's the level but of competition is the problem. They're they were among these 79 teams, 60th in scoring defense, 60th in yards per play defense, 67th in yards per play margin. And none of the, you know, they were pretty good in terms of their resume, uh, in terms of like number of teams they beat that finished ranked. They had a good win against Michael Vick and Virginia Tech in the national title game. But otherwise, like they're even their offense was just kind of middling among these teams. Defense was lower end. Again, they were really good just compared to these other historically well, dominant teams. But just
1: remember, the the ACC is still weakest yes. at, at this point. You know, Georgia Tech is the best ACC team they play all year. Uh, Florida wins the SEC East that year, but is not an all-time great Florida team. Miami's pretty good, but they're not quite – they're they're still coming out of the whole probation and, and dealing yep. with all that. So – I just think a lot of it was they didn't really get a chance to flex on a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of really respected opponents, and I think that that may hold them back. Because I, I just rem- I remember watching that team, and if you think about the the, lo- the roster on oh, that yeah. team, they were loaded. Like I would have loved to seen this team against the two thousand one Miami team because I think it could have given them a game, and. The the 2001 Florida State team obviously did not give Miami a game in 2001.
0: Yeah, so I and I will say one other kind of surprise for me was how like the USC teams of the mid 2000s are viewed. I yeah. I ended up including 2004 USC at nine, which I didn't really get pushback, but I feel like most people would probably say that's low. Like, but I think I think the way Texas
1: beat them the next year. Reframed the way we looked at those teams it's that, because remember remember going into that Rose Bowl yes <laughs> ESPN's doing that is this the greatest dynasty of all time and just I mean essentially going down the checklist of how do you piss off the Texas players that are about to play USC
0: so I but here's the other thing about those teams like I think they were rightfully viewed as historically great teams they were loaded with talent they but it's also the the dynasty aspect and the fact that they back to back national championship championships almost won another one makes the individual seasons be viewed as more dominant than maybe they were. But 2004 until the championship game, I mean, they had plenty of dominant wins, but they also won close against Cal one close against mediocre Stanford team. One close yeah, against Jeff UCLA. Tedford
1: and Aaron Rodgers had their number.
0: And if you look at like some of their numbers, they don't actually stack up that. Well, I they're good. They're kind of middle of the road among these teams considered, but I kind of gave them, A bonus because they destroyed Oklahoma in one of the most dominant performances in the championship game ever. Uh, In fact, the third best blowout in a matchup of number one versus number two ever, just behind Nebraska-Florida, which was number two on that list. Number one on that list is 1945 Army Notre Dame. So when you have a dominant national championship performance like that, it certainly helps your case because Oklahoma was a really good team that year. But then I think people yeah, would say... Yet
1: another, yet another title game I was excited to watch, but I had <laughs> right. to work. And by the time I got to watch it, it was over.
0: I think the other team, people would say, why didn't 2005 USC make it still even with a close loss to Texas? Their defense wasn't doesn't actually stack up that great compared to some of these other teams. And we look back to that season, we're talking about all-time great status. Well, they needed that late drama to beat Notre Dame. They, despite Reggie Bush having one of the best performances we've ever seen, they needed a fourth quarter comeback to beat Fresno State. I think they were trailing Arizona State, too. So, those teams, I think, were obviously awesome, amazing, but their numbers did not stack up quite as well as I thought they would.
1: It is one of those things that we can debate yes. <laughs> endlessly.
0: So there you have it. There was my conversation with Andy Staples about the 25 most dominant teams of the past 50 years in college football, a list that includes Penn State at number 17 for the 1994 squad. And also it should be noted, surprisingly, 1994 Penn State is actually the only Big Ten team that made the list. And that is because Ohio State, while you know one of the most dominant programs of the last 50 years for sure, probably among the top two or three of those. Uh, their national champions in that time, you know, 2014 lost by double digits to Virginia Tech, which finished undefeated or sorry, unranked, which is pretty similar to what happened with the, uh, 1982 Penn State team. And then Ohio State also was undefeated and won the championship in 2002, but that team didn't make the list was kind of similar to the 86 Penn State team and that their metrics just weren't great enough to be considered one of the most dominant teams. So Uh, Penn State, 1994, on the list as the only Big Ten representative. So there's a mark in Penn State's favor there. So that will do it for this special, a little bit different episode of Dear Old State. Thank you for listening to my interview uh, on the Andy Staple Show. And uh, be sure to check out all of our great content at The Athletic, especially the Penn State content from my co-host here, Audrey Snyder. Audrey has been doing some great work on recruiting, on You know, last week she put out a uh, very, very large article that I edited of the notes and quotes about every scholarship player on Penn State's offensive roster. And uh, check that out if you want details about what coaches were saying about all of their players this spring. And then pretty soon she's going to have an article looking at all of the scholarship defensive players. So be be sure to check that out at The Athletic. And uh, I know she is working hard on some other bigger, long term projects too that you'll want to keep an eye out for. So. We will be back soon to discuss more Penn State football on Dear Old State. And, of course, check out our uh, nonstop Penn State football coverage from Audrey Snyder on The Athletic. So thanks, to, thanks for listening to Dear Old State.